next right here on The Plank Show. So I'm really pumped to welcome in our next guest. He covers college football for The Athletic, Chris Vanini, senior writer. Uh, and I got to tell you something, Chris. I was following yesterday. I, I was covering OU softball yesterday. And I'm not a big soccer guy, but I was watching the Manchester City game, and we were sitting in a tent, and there was a diehard fan there, and he goes, it's two zip. I'm done with this. And he shuts down his, his iPad and walks away. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. And I literally walked out of that tent and two paces, and there's an A&M dude that's like, they just scored. They just scored again. They tied the game. And then I peeped your timeline. What a moment for you yesterday, Chris, with a Man City comeback. I feel like me walking away from it helped to spur that comeback for Man City. Congratulations. Well, yeah. and I mean, if, if you know anything about Manchester City's history, they did almost the same thing 10 years ago. They scored two goals in the final five minutes to win the championship. They actually overcame a 2 nothing deficit in their previous game. So it's not impossible, but three goals in five minutes in the final 15 minutes to win the English Premier League Championship, I was a, a very happy person. Man, I, you, you've been on point with so much of what you've been covering and, and writing about and listening to, and I'm grateful for your time this morning. Where are we in NIL? I don't know if the term would be rules or guidelines or bumpers or – collectives getting in line? I mean, are, are we any closer to having more regulations or do we even need more regulations on it right now? How do you feel about where we are? We're just waiting to see if the NCAA will actually do anything or not. Everybody's waiting to see if the NCAA... Everybody's kind of calling the NCAA flaw. You've got states like Illinois, I think Missouri, are now saying that schools can directly help facilitate NIL deals and in some ways, kind of both bring a collective's work in-house almost. But at the same time, the NCAA says a couple weeks ago, you can't, your boosters or collectives can't have any contact with recruits over recruiting inducements and stuff like that. So even if you've got kids signing contracts and the contracts themselves don't say there's an inducement, you're already having contact. Like, that's not allowed. That's the basis of everything here. That's where the, the ultimate, that's where the crux of the issue is here, is, is that none of it's allowed, technically, by the NCAA rules. Clearly, it's, it's happening in, in broad daylight. So is the NCAA going to do something or not? And a lot of people don't think they are. Some people wonder. And so at this point, we just wait. Does the NCAA investigate somebody? Do they deliver penalties? That's what we're waiting for. It, it's almost as if someone needs to be made an example of, right? From back back when I was a kid, there was always the one guy that got in trouble, and he was made the example of because of him getting grounded. But who is ultimately going to make the rules? Because since, I guess, the implementation less than a year ago of NIL, Chris, I feel like the NCAA has just wanted to tap out. With that in mind, who's going to end up regulating this? Is it still going to fall in the lap of the NCAA? I, I don't know. We, we've got an outgoing NCAA president. We've got a new board of governors being formed in the summer because the NCAA just redid its constitution. Nobody's really in charge. The enforcement staff is very understaffed and doesn't have a lot of resources. Um, so I, I don't really know what there is that they can do. And it's not like collectives and people are going to uh, are going to work with NCAA investigations because they don't want to, and the NCAA doesn't have subpoena power or anything like that so it's just kind of moving forward 
with nobody thinking anything's going to really stop. We are uh, we're talking with Chris Vanini. All right, help me understand this, and I, I know you've dug into it a bit. What can D.C. do? What can uh, Congress do whenever Greg Sankey and whenever uh, George Klyvkoff go to talk to, to the government? What truly can they provide here for the NCAA or for college sports in general to help them? They can make a uniform. You, you've got states. Different states have different rules. Some don't have any rules. The idea would be to just, it's the same for everybody with the, with the federal law. That, that's the hope. Ah. problem is Congress has a lot of other more important things on its uh, plate, like it always does. You've got elections coming up. Uh, you've got uh, potentially a, a change in certain houses of Congress. Uh, it does not seem like there's any real chance that Congress does anything. They, they were hoping that a year ago, when, it, right. when, when, when that happened, they wanted Congress to do something. It's been a year. There's nothing. It, it, it's not going to happen. So it's, it, you know, it makes for headlines. It, it makes for powerful people talking to powerful people. But the idea that Congress is going to make some national NIL laws seems very, very slim. Yeah, hey, hey, Chris, I'm curious to get your take on the saving Jimbo thing, and I feel like we're all kind of taked out on it, but still – did you find yourself falling in the category of Nick being calculated in what he did, or did he truly slip up whenever he mentioned A&M, you think? It's tough, because that's <laughs> a guy who always knows what he's going to say and why he's going to say it. He was speaking there at, at this event to a bunch of local business people. you know. So, so part of the goal there is to say, hey – are doing this we need to find out ways that we can kind of do this although alabama's collective has gone out of its way to say it's not going to do recruiting inducements and stuff like that that it's following NCAA rules he didn't need to name a&m though and that just opened him up to uh all the criticism in the world if he had simply said there are schools out there that are buying players it would have made the exact same point and it wouldn't have riled up uh a&m and in, 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 in the in jimbo so he probably slipped up a bit in saying, and that's basically what he did when he apologized. He said, "I shouldn't have said I shouldn't have said Texas A&M, Jackson State, but my overall point is the same." <laughs> yeah, the greatest non-apology apology ever. Listen, I'm sorry that I said your name, but I still think you cheated. Is what I took from that, Chris. We're hanging out with Chris Vanini from the Athletic. Couple more, and we'll let you get out of here. You had a note on your Twitter feed about Baylor's president re-upping and staying at Baylor for quite a while, and there are many that thought she would be in the next role as president of the NCAA. There's two major vacancies that I've heard nothing about. The next president of the NCAA and the next commissioner of the Big 12. Are these purposefully silent right now, or are we going through the process? And I, I get it, they're two different things, Chris, but obviously two major vacancies that are just quiet right now. Yeah, I mean, they're both long processes. I talked to someone who's kind of connected to the Big 12 search a, a few weeks back, and, and they said, you know, they got you got to do surveys of all the schools in the Big 12, not just ADs. You got to get coaches. You got to get faculty reps. You got to get SWAs. You got to get a lot of feedback from a lot of people to see exactly what they want. And that is naturally going to be a long process. The NCAA president one mentioned that there's going to be a new new board of governors in i think august sometime in the summer and the expectation is that new board will be the one to hire the next NCAA president so it's still a ways off in terms of figuring out who's going to kind of make this decision and what that decision is going to be we've had a lot of people who who 
feel who could be fits for that job have already said no. Right. I mean, Robert Gates said no. Mary Sue Coleman said no. Linda Livingstone at Baylor just signed that that contract. Kirk Schultz at Washington State says no. So you've got a lot of people who are around college sports people think would be good fits for the job who are already saying no. So that's going to be a pretty drawn-out process as well because nobody knows exactly what the job is or what they want. And, and I, I feel like that there's been so much – about, oh, the NCAA is, is no longer going to exist, it's going to be different. But yet in everything, there's at least some sort of mention of it still being around and it still being a major part of it. Did we try to put the tombstone on the NCAA's relevance a little bit too quickly, Chris? Yes, because we mostly just talk about football <laughs> and, and, and these, the NCAA does a lot more than that. I mean, the idea of breaking – the NCAA is just the It's just just committees made up of schools. So if anybody was to break away, they'd have to create their whole organization anyway. You're basically just creating what the NCAA is. Now, the idea of maybe football kind of doing its own thing is is, is something that's being thrown out there a bit more. But you could still have the NCAA to do things like academic eligibility and and, and all these other things that uh, apply to the sport of football. So, no, the idea of breaking away, it makes, again, it makes for fun headlines that allows people to sound like they're forward thinking when they say they need to talk about it, but the reality of actually executing these things is extremely difficult. All right, two more and I'll get you out. Number one, Cincinnati is coming to the Big 12. Maybe Oklahoma will be playing them uh, with the way that it looks, how quickly they could get here. You've gone in-depth. You've drilled deep on Cincinnati, and I'm, I'm curious. You, I don't feel like they're going anywhere on the football side of things. Maybe a little slide back this year because, you know, you're replacing a, a star quarterback that was, you know, battle, might be battling for a starting job in the NFL this year. But it seems as if the infrastructure is there for the Bearcats where they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, they're already recruiting at a level that is pretty much a non-Texas, Oklahoma, Big 12 school. You know, their, their recruiting has been very solid, clear heads and above the rest of the group of five. A big part of that is, you know, does Luke Fickle stick around? He did He did here once again. He loves being there. Um, but maybe at some point he leaves, and that's when things will have to shift. Cincinnati's had a lot of success across a lot of coaches. Brian Kelly, Mark Antonio, uh, 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 Fickle. It didn't Butch go well with Tommy Tuberville. Butch Jones. Mm. Yeah, so they, they, they've had a long period of success here. and It's a program used to winning. So that infrastructure is in place. They're working to upgrade facilities and do all these other things. So it's definitely a program that uh, is, is not going to go away. And then, Chris, you're, I, I always love whenever we get a chance to talk to a guy who has that broader vision. You know, sometimes we're way too close to fire. But as you've followed and you've watched what's coming out of Oklahoma, what do you think so far of what Brent Venables has been able to do? Yeah, he, he's brought a lot of energy that I think is needed at this time, especially losing Lincoln Riley and with the planned move to the SEC. He's a guy who knows – you know, the, the intricacies of, of how these things work. And he's a coach who I think is prepared to take that team into the SEC and, and, and live in that world, essentially. And, yeah, there's been all, all sorts of positive vibes around the program. And that, that's often the case for a new head coach. But uh, to, to, to have that positive feeling from the fan base coming off the heartbreak of, of Lincoln Riley leaving, that's a good thing. Now, this first year may be a struggle. It may take a little bit of time to get back to, to where he wants to be considering the player losses. 
but I, I think you have to feel pretty good about uh, where things are going right now for him. Yeah, I hear you. Well, hey, man, congratulations on the championship this week, and I'm fired up for you. And when you commit yourself to getting up that early on a consistent basis, game on, baby. Uh, and I love reading you, Chris. Thanks for finding time for us. I know your schedule is busy, and I hope we get to do this again soon. Yep, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, anytime. Chris Vanini covers the athletic. Great follow on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Did I say covers the athletic? <laughs> covers the athletic. It's Monday, guys. I'm only on my first cup of coffee. Covers college football for the athletic. And just real quick before we break, how dare I do something and actually stay on the clock. But he really hit it on the head, and this was a conversation that started to really take over the college football world this weekend. Um, collectives are considered boosters. And... As long as, as long as that's the case, it, it's it's going to be an issue. And I want to read this quick little thing from Stuart Mandel. Um, one thing I've noticed the last two days is fans under the impression buying recruits through NIL is within the rules. It's definitely not. I heard that a lot. I heard that a lot this weekend. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. There are no rules, and you're right. There are two. <laughs> there were two rules, and I, I, there's an OU, Soonersports.com slash podcast. Go, it's less than a year ago. I talked to, to Jason and Kenny whenever it had first broke, and they were all of, they were the, they were the make sure we stay within the guidelines of the NCAA, and they said there's two. It, one of them is a schedule thing. Right there, there's a schedule rule where you can't be going and doing uh, nil things whenever you're supposed to be at practice or at a game. That was what the other rule was. It can't be used as inducement. You can't your enticement, whatever term you want to use, and it has been. The collectives believe they're in the clear because their contracts don't say pay, playing for their school as a condition. The school isn't even mentioned, which is very cool. Um. But the NCAA's NIL enforcement guidelines made clear they consider collectives to be boosters and any booster contact with recruits is a violation. There had to be contact. Had to be. Right? Yeah, and I think that's what, I mean, obviously you think Jimbo's doing stuff with boosters, but he may not be the only coach that's doing this. There could be others, and it's just well, hidden. Or It gets back to... My overriding thought on this, then who is responsible for recruiting classes? I mean, who do you point the finger at if you have a bad recruiting class? Do you call your coaches in and your recruiting coordinators if you're the AD or the president of the school? Or do you have to talk to your collectives? It's like, hey, y'all need better deals. Because if that's going to be the case, then just bring them all in-house for goodness sakes. Everyone talks about uh, the. This reminds me of Blue Chips, the movie. And I've seen so many people like talk about it because it's like the same situation, like in that press conference in Blue Chips, where he says, "Yeah, oh, go to the ATM machine." That's that's what Jimbo's been doing. What was what was Shaq's character's name? We offered Shaq a new. He didn't want it. He didn't want it. He didn't want to play basketball. Bought him a new tractor for his farm. It's great seeing Nick Nolte. Um, all right, we got a break. Man, that's fun. I love when we get a smart guest like Chris Vanini on. Uh, it upgrades the IQ of the show. Well, he's, he's a fun guy to follow on Twitter, too, for everything 
you want to know, not just Cincinnati, but yeah, everything college football. When we come back, there's a little breaking news out of the softball world. Joe Evans is out as the head coach of Texas A&M. I think that could have an effect on OU. I'll explain why next. Texas A&M has announced that they will not renew Joe Evans' contract. So the longtime Texas A&M coach is is out. And I I mean, I, I hope it was I hope it was her decision. I mean, when they say they're not going to renew her contract, that makes it seem like it wasn't. But I mean, she's She's had a pretty incredible run. She's had some good years and what they say, 20 straight regionals that A&M made with her. In reading Ross Bjork's announcement, it doesn't sound like it was her decision. (laughs) Coach Evans has been a tremendous ambassador to our university and softball program for the last 26 years, but we have decided that our softball program needs to go in a new direction. Welp. Uh, we are deeply appreciative of her efforts while building on our softball program's winning tradition with three Women's College World Series appearances. Chose a first-class person. We wish her nothing but the best in her future endeavors. Um, it's almost unfortunately fitting that her last ever game was coached in Norman because it's the fifth time in the last decade that their season has ended in Norman. 13, 14, 15, 21, 22. And that was the first time that I've been on the call when the seniors have taken their cleats and put them on home plate. She also put like a little card on her. I didn't see what it was. I saw the grounds crew guys grabbed it. So I bring up that I think this is something to keep an eye on for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's a big time job. That is a that is a big time job. Davis Diamond is one of the elite facilities in college softball. And it's only been open since 2018. 28 million dollars to build it. It is it's a mecca for college softball. And so you've got You've got a great home field. Number two, you've got a program that is putting resources towards the sport. All right, so let me explain what I mean by that. Real quick, T.J. Eckert's coming up to talk golf, bottom of the hour. There's some places where certain sports just check a box. It's the reality of it. You know, you, you end up backing into maybe a good coach who turns things around and demands more attention, but it's the reality of Across all of college sports. We got a softball team. Good. All right. Got a title. We're good. That's not that's not the case at AM. And by the way, that's not the case in most schools in the SEC. I would almost say all of them. South Carolina's dipped a little bit, but that's still a really good program. So there's number but number three, I I think regardless of what happens from here on out, I think it's the best job that's gonna be open this offseason. It is, and that's a team that's been pretty consistent with her at head coach for a lot of years. And man, that's some that's some big shoes to fill in College Station. Sure is, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see that they might want to try to talk to a Jen Rocha. I would. 
Um, I absolutely would. And the only reason I wouldn't add JT to that mix is because I would consider him to be, you know, pretty pretty tied to coach. But if I'm Texas A&M, I mean, I am, I'm absolutely making that call to a 405 area. Wait, does Jen still have a 405 area code? But yeah, I I think that if you're making the phone call for A&M. And it's head coach. I think one of the first calls you make is is Jen Rocha. <laughs> look, dude, look at what she's done. Right? At Florida, Florida won back-to-back national champions with the nastiest pitching staff you've seen. And then she comes to Oklahoma, and I don't think G. Juarez minds me saying this, but they fine-tune G. Juarez, get her where she needs to be for the World Series, and... And now, you know, look at what's happened with this staff minus Jordy Ball over the last few weeks. I don't want to see her go anywhere, and I think Oklahoma would fight to keep her. But that's going to be a hell of a job. Uh, well, and you're going to have a lot of money uh, to spend for a head coach, and you also got a lot of money, like you said, going into those facilities at A&M. So, man, that's a, yeah, it's a great job to have for Texas A&M softball. I, I, I'm curious. There's a name that's not mentioned uh, and I know this is kind of in the weeds, so some of you are like, listen, Plank, we enjoy the softball, but really we're going to talk about coaching vacancies. I, just give me two seconds here. I think uh, Christy Breadbrenner, I don't know why she's never mentioned for any jobs, but she's done a really, really nice job at at Wichita State. And, man, that, that head coach at Duke – Marissa Young. She's, she's really turned that around like really quickly because Duke's never really been a they didn't have a program softball. They, yeah. they didn't have a program, and she was their first head coach in 2015. And look what they've done. They're going to a super regional. So I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of big time names attached to this. But my point is with Joe Evans not being renewed and Ross Bjork going in a different direction, you are. You now have the biggest vacancy in college softball. There is not unless unless coach decides to retire or unless Patrick walks away down in in Alabama. Um, who who am I leave? Oh, unless UCLA pops open. Yeah, this is this is a big time deal that this job is open. Big time, dude. Wonder if they go after someone who's already a big name at a big college, or they go like some you know some smaller well, college that. A coach has been building up. It's interesting because we're going to have Eric Lopez on probably a couple times this week, but I just I get the sense that you can go either way. We've seen, I mean, we've seen big time moves in this sport, right? You've seen a coach that'll go from a power program to another power program. It's like, whoa! Um, I don't think it's any hidden secret how how eager a certain team that got beat in the Women's College World Series in 2016 was in trying to make a push for the coach that beat them. You know, there's programs out there that aren't afraid to throw a ton. Mike White left Oregon for Texas, and Oregon is a job that many would felt was better than Texas. They had a newer stadium. They had Nike, and Mike White left because he got paid more money to go to Texas. So, And you know what? Let me tell you right now, if I'm Texas A&M, I might be calling Eugene. I might be calling Oregon. Be like, Coach Lombardi, what are you doing? Let's get you back towards uh, your roots here. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to do that. All right, quick break. 1031. When we come back, we're heading to, 
We're heading to Lookout Mountain, and we're going to talk to T.J. Eckert, who, in addition to being the sports director at Channel A, I think the youngest sports director in the country, uh, he is also an avid golf insider, former college golfer himself. We'll get his take on what we learned from the PGA Championship in Tulsa this week and next right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. All right, welcome back into the Plank Show. It is a rainy Monday here in Norman, and I'm pumped to hit up the hotline law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution, and talk with the sports director, golf aficionado, T.J. Eckert, at T.J. Eckert, K-T-U-L. In my mind, one of the greatest quarterbacks in Bixby Spartan history. T.J., um, man, great job by Tulsa. Great job by you covering it this weekend. But how fun is it? whenever you have an event like this and to see it embraced like it is by the community in the golf world? Well, first off, appreciate that plank. I think it was, it really went from if there's such a thing as a dud in a major to one of the better major championships we could have here in Tulsa, right? I mean, it started off really kind of, kind of bad on Sunday, you know, Tiger withdrawals on Saturday. And then, you know, we have a guy named Mito Pereira that most casual golf fans have never heard of leading by three and so it started off like man this is going to be like i said if there's such a thing it does and then honestly it turned into a perfect inning for tulsa southern hills showed out tulsa had great crowds all week and weekend long and then we had a, a big name player win in a in the most exciting way in a playoff so it was a it was a perfect week for tulsa let's let's start with a couple of, of general thoughts here number one you know, Southern Hills, TJ, probably about the time whenever you were playing collegiately, uh, they had decided they were going to give the course back to the members for a while. How did how did this start to get another major back there and to, to really kind of get back in? And do you see them getting back in the game more regularly for a PGA championship or to push for another U.S. Open? Yeah, it started, I think, really with, uh, with the team there at Southern Hills looking at the way the golf course used to be and how they've kind of gotten away from – the original design that was there, you know, it's almost 100 years old. Perry Maxwell designed it, and one of the better golf course architects of all time. And, and the course had gotten away from that a little bit. And Gil Hans, a really good course redesigner, rest, restoration expert, came in and, and and brought it exactly back to what Perry Maxwell had. And it's it's beautiful. It's, it's in such great shape and, and looks really good. And I think that's kind of what started them kind of wanting to have this discussion again about bringing major championships back and. You know, honestly, we weren't supposed to have one until 2030. Right. You know, it was it was it was going to be another eight nine years. So uh, from 07 to, to 2030, over 20 years from having a major championship in Tulsa. So uh, it, it was a blessing getting it back here and, and this year in 2022. 15 years is still a long time, but uh, from everything we heard from the staff at the PGA to you know the, the president Jim Richardson during his his trophy presentation last night says uh, we look forward to being back very soon. Good. And so. The next opening is 2030. It's, it's understood, I think, that I think Congressional is 2031. I think they're going to move up to 2030. And then Tulsa's got a great shot to have it back in 2031. I know that Crown Jewel has always been, and again, I, I haven't been as in on it as you have, TJ, recently. Is there still a push to want to try to get the Ryder Cup in Tulsa? I haven't heard that. Okay. I know the, the, now the relationship, the, the PGA of America is who runs the Ryder Cup, and I know the relationship with the PGA of America and Southern Hills is really strong. And so I wouldn't say it's completely out of the realm of possibility. I do know, uh, you know, they play in October, and so sometimes they, they, they try and go to 
what I think would be a generally more predictable climate in October. I think they're afraid of maybe having really chilly temperatures down here in October. But having said that, they played Minnesota a few years ago. So, you know, anything's possible, I think. Um, All right, then getting back to this weekend, I think there's a lot of people that are Tiger fans, and if, if he's in the mix, they're all in. And Thursday was fun. Friday was okay. Saturday, not so much. I'm sure you watched him a lot and following your Twitter feed. I I feel like he's not going anywhere, but it still seems like it's going to be a long process, doesn't it? It does, and I think I think right now Tiger is a, a victim of his own success, right? I mean, making the cut after what he's been through the past year and a half is nothing short of of remarkable. I mean, guy almost lost his leg last February, and here he is making two cuts and two major championships at two of the hilliest golf courses that you'll find that they play on on major championship circuits. So. I think I think that right there was was such a huge accomplishment. But like I said, with how well he's played and the, the heights that he took this game to, people viewed making the cut as like, well, okay, that's what he's supposed to do. And so I think I think our expectations have to be tempered right now and understand that you know what his body's not going to operate the way it used to. He's not 22 years old, 23 years old anymore, winning by 20 shots. This is a guy that you know is is just happy to be back out there right now and. Uh, he's going to have days. Saturday was a was just a perfect storm. It's a that's a funny way to put it, because it was cold, it was windy, it was rainy, it was early, and his body just doesn't wake up like it used to. His back's tight, his leg is still hurting, and so uh, it caught up with him. And you could tell he was in pain. And honestly, you know, people were talking about it. Blank Friday, watching him when he didn't even need to grind to make the cut was almost as exciting for me because I was there in person almost <laughs> as exciting as watching some of his wins in the past because he, there was no reason for him to push as hard as he was there was no re- he was he was in no way there was no way he was going to win the golf tournament even though he said it after his press conference he was going to try to find a way to win but there was no way he was going to contend and he was he was outside the cut line but he found a way to basically use his club as a cane the last six holes to make the cut so it was pretty fun to watch I, uh, I got a text from a friend of mine, uh, Allison Fanning, that said, being at Southern Hills for three days, I would say it was one of the best-ran sporting events I've ever been to between the buses, the gates, concessions. It's all such a well-oiled machine. And I brought that up in the open, TJ. It has a lot to do with the volunteers. And, hey, this isn't the first rodeo for Southern Hills to do it, but you rarely, if ever, go to a, an event at Southern Hills and come away and are complaining about anything. It is a well-put-together, well-run event. Yeah, I would say the smiles on people's faces when they were walking into Southern Hills and seeing the golf course for the first time or seeing it for the seventh, eighth time, that was that was one thing you noticed. But then the same smiles walking out after having enjoyed the event that was here and, and like I mentioned, the finish that we had just really, truly ended up being a, a perfect week weekend for, for Tulsa, for golf, uh, for Southern Hills. I, all the, re- the reviews, I say all. A couple, couple of naysayers out there. Really quick plank. Golfers are really they're whiners. <laughs> golf for myself, I can I can say that. Same. Golfers are whiners. If things aren't perfect, they're going to whine about it. And that's we had a few of those. But the overwhelming majority from golfers, from golf fans, from the officials of the PGA was uh, really a roaring success for Southern Hills and for Tulsa. What do you think happened, Tomito? What do you feel like was it was it truly nerves? Is that what got him? I think so. I think that's exactly what it was. You know, you sleep on a lead in the, on the final round of a major championship. You haven't won on tour, period. Uh, I think the stat going into the final round that people were throwing around was that he didn't even have a top 10 in 2022. He had zero top 10s coming into this, this week. And 
sleeping on a big lead. The expectation is that you're going to win because you have such a, I call it substantial, but three-shot lead's pretty big. And then, yeah, all that all that pressure and all of that kind of rides on uh, the final swing there on the 18-T box. And he said after the round that he was nervous, but he, his, his mind wasn't racing. He didn't feel the nerves. He didn't feel the pressure. But, you know, your mind may feel one thing, but your body feels another. Sometimes your mind may be clear, but your hands aren't working the right way or your <laughs> legs aren't working the right way. And that's exactly what – I mean, That his swing on 18 looked like a guy who wasn't committed to what he was trying to do. And, and that's totally understandable – um, in the moment like that. And so, yeah, that was, that, I would say that it was one of those, his mind was, his mind was in a good spot. His body just wasn't following along with him. So, and, and let's be honest, he had a putt on 17 that hang on, that hangs on the lip for birdie to give him a two shot lead going into 18. And, and just with that, uh, that gives you even more confidence stepping up to the 18 T box, but not making birdie on eight on 17. Uh, really put a lot of stress on that on that tee shot, and you could tell. So uh, you can tell my man T.J. Eckert, beyond knowledgeable in the world of golf, he's got his own podcast at Plugged Live Pod, or Plugged Live Pod, uh, and our buddy Matt Reynolds is there helping him out with it too. So a couple more before we let you get out of here. Just for Justin Thomas, seven-shot rally, great dude, has an awesome personality, and I, mean, I, I kind of felt like we hadn't been talking about him much recently. T.J., what a moment for him. Yeah, he, he hit on it in his post-round press conference that he feels like he's been playing really good golf but didn't have the trophies to show for this year. I mean, he feels like he's he's really been putting himself in the mix at a lot of tournaments but hasn't taken home any hardware. And so really good for him to see that and, and keep going back to Tulsa. Great for Tulsa to have a name win. I mean, it had been cool for Mito Pereira to kind of break out, this kind of unknown guy to win, uh, guy from South America taking home a major championship. That'd be all cool, but... For, for casual golf fans, they know who Justin Thomas is, they, and they understand the significance of a playoff win. And so that was pretty cool. And going back to Southern Hills, five under is your winner. I mean, if, if that's not a true you Wild. Know, a true sign of a championship golf course, I mean, these guys, the week before it, at uh, the tournament in Texas, they were all like 23 under. It got like third. So five under wins at the PGA. Tiger wanted eight under. Uh, it's been it's been truly consistent with with Southern Hills and the type of championships and champions that they provide. At TJ Eckerd K T U L, follow him on Twitter. Check out his golf pod. Before I let you go, though, I do want to talk about something that's near and dear to both your and in my heart, and that is consistently following the excellence at Bixby. You were on mm. the the foundation of that. Obviously, we're big on high school football around here, so. How does Lauren Montgomery continue to do it? I mean, I, I, my first year doing broadcast was, I think, your first year as a starting quarterback. Shows you how old I am. But it, <laughs> it's, it's wild to think of, you know, squeaking out a win over, I think it was Enid, out in a, in a playoff game. And now they're the favorites. I mean, they don't even want them at 6A1 because of how powerful they have become. What is key that? What have you seen at Bixby that has really elevated to another level with Lauren? Uh, the easy answer is they got rid of that Eckerd kid. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the easy answer. Now it's uh, he's really impressive. Honestly, Plank, what it's turned into, and you and you can appreciate and understand this, is he's turned it into Jinx back from the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, Montgomery was there with Alan Trimble when Trimble created the Jinx machine, and, and that's basically exactly what Bixby has turned into. Is it starts in the weight room, it starts in the off season. And these kids buy in, and it's an expectation to win now. And, you know, anything short of winning a state championship every year is, is below standard. I mean, they, they've won 50 games in a row. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And so this is, it's, it's been really fun to watch as an alum 
It's been it's been cool to see the development. It's been great watching Coach Montgomery do it because he's such a great coach and a great person. And, and that staff has pretty much stuck around. The majority of the staff plank that is, is names you would probably recognize from that year in 2010 because they've all stuck around. And I think mm-hmm. that's another testament to what Coach Montgomery's done is his staff buys in and they stay together. And, uh, yeah, 6A1 is going to be really exciting. First game of the season is, is Owasso, and those have been two of the better programs in the state really for the past five years. And so it, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch them this year. You're awesome. TJ, I hope we get a chance to do this more often, man. I really enjoy talking to you. I love following you on Twitter. And uh, keep up the great work, man. Great insight, great analysis. And uh, we'll do this again soon if you have time. Absolutely, Plank. Anytime. I appreciate you having me on. You're the man. TJ Eckert. He is the uh, sports director at Channel 8, which, by the way, is another tie. I got all kinds of ties here to TJ Eckert. Well, and essentially where he works. You know what my very first job in the media was? What's that? I was an intern at Channel 8. I was a sports weekend intern. So TJ was there too with you? Well, no, no. He was probably in diapers whenever I was uh, doing the internship. But TJ, my very first year calling Bixby football, gosh, I want to – because Pat McGrew was my analyst. And I want to say it was 2010 was my first year. I feel like I did 10 and 11. And because I'll never forget in 11, we were in Tallahassee for my first ever road trip for OU football. And I was on the phone with Coach McGrew trying to make sure he had the equipment set up for the broadcast. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, Coach, how's it going? He's like, I don't know what's going on here. What a run. What a heck of a day, too, was that OU Florida State when OU's ranked one? Yeah, it was It was the Friday night before. So, And then that Saturday, you go out. Uh, it was my fir- I mean, it was my first ever trip on radio. We went to the walkthrough that Saturday morning. We rode the bus in. I mean, Florida State was – I mean, they were chomping, man. They were ready to go. Jimbo Fisher had a – I want to say E.J. Manuel was back, and he got hurt. Clint Trickett ended up quarterbacking. But, yeah, it was a great time. That's a heck of a first trip. Not bad, right? Not bad. And to win it, too. Very nervous about that. Um, 10.50. I know you're on hold there, True. I want to get to you, but we're due a break. So when we come back, what the phones at 405-329-9000. We've got the top five stories of the day coming up to kick off hour number three right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. All right, welcome back into the Plank Show. I don't know why I have decided a re-air of a Saturday softball game is better viewing than first take, but here we are. Especially when I have them debating the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher saga for the 86th time. It did kind of wow me how many people have no idea what NIL is about or collectives or anything of that nature. They all have their different like opinions and on different things. And it's almost as if I don't think you guys really know. But to be fair, I don't really know if anyone has a true handle on it, to be honest with you. I don't think the NCAA knows either. So, I mean, I... I think there's there's some people that think that Jimbo Fisher or Nick Saban walk into a living room with this group of people and they start laying out NIL deals. Or, you know, the thing is that – and I – God, there's some dumb people that cover college football. But the thing that cracked me up is people that are like, yeah, now, now kids are finally getting their way and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, they've, they've had – this has been – it's less than a year – but they've they've had this opportunity now, and it's not like Nick Saban is trying to restrict it. He's he's embracing it, but it's there's got to be rules. 
I mean, there's rules in the NFL. There's rules in the NBA. And as Toby Rowland once eloquently put it, even in the wild, wild west, there were lawmen. I love how these, I love how now you get all these stories. Well, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban always had heat. And they were mad because Jimbo Fisher wanted an offense to be like this when he was at LSU. And, or, yeah, at LSU. And Nick Saban was wanting to be all about defense. And they never liked each other since. Meanwhile, there's Jimbo Fisher waiting like an hour after the game to try to congratulate Nick Saban just like three, four years ago. But now all they, all they hate each other. They just don't like each other. Man, you don't, you don't see guys talk bad on Nick Saban either. So that was the first time actually – not just Jim, Jimbo, but any coach in general, like, talk bad on Saban. A lot of SEC coaches are speaking anonymously. Um, everybody's kissing Saban's backside like a big fraternity, said one former SEC coach. In the breaks between meetings, all the Saban people are laughing and joking like they were brothers. Many believe that Jimbo Fisher and Saban had that sort of dynamic before Fisher went on to win a national championship at Florida State. I just... We haven't talked about it yet, and we're probably not going to. But oh, I guess Chris Vanini coming on, we kind of touched on it. It is funny now how this becomes about Saban and Jimbo Fisher's relationship and not about where we are in college football with the collectives right now. Hilarious. Well, then Nick Saban's actually the first person to actually speak on because, I mean, obviously everyone knew something was up in right. College Station, so Nick Saban's the first one to – Step up and say something. All right, we got a break. When we come back, top five stories of the day. Plus, keep these air comfort solutions texts rolling in. 405-651-3439. 405-651-3439. Josh is out. It's a blank show.